I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome, my fellow superfans, to the seventh edition of No Small Questions, the Q&A show with the cast of No Small Roles. I'm Question Master Sam Oakes, and sitting in the virtual hot seats tonight, we have a pair of total legends. Join me as we peek under the mask and hopefully unravel some of Gaius's many, many secrets. Ha. That's right, we have the oh-so-handsome Chris Watts in the Zoom chat. You filthy flirt. Oh, he's so handsome. He's so <laughs> handsome. Oh, you absolute tease, you. Oh, you deserve it. <laughs> and uh, filling the <laughs> should other I, screen... Should I go? This should I, mm, uh, no, I'm getting to you. I'm getting to you, David. Settle oh, down. okay, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll wait my turn. Stay here and watch, David. That's all you need to do. <laughs> no, I think I will go. Uh... <laughs> And filling the other screen in this call is the player's handbook himself. There would be no show without the madness that thrives in this man's noggin. Our crafty DM, David Knight. Hey, guys. Hello, everybody. Hello. I'm really excited for this, uh, especially since I've seen some of the questions that are lying ahead. There are some really good ones and there are some doozies as well that you'll have to think about, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, We also have standing by in this Zoom chat, we have a collection of our Patreon subscribers and we'll be hearing uh, some questions, hopefully directly from them, a little bit later on in the show. Now, before we kick off, this is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! We will be discussing events right up to and including episode 35. So if you haven't yet had the pleasure, this is your last chance to hit the pause button and go catch up. Okay, right. You've been warned. Uh, Let's get stuck in. Are you guys ready for your first question? Let's go. Yeah, let's do this thing. Let's dive right in. Okay, so the first question is for David. This is at Emily MJ Knight, who has asked, how do you go about designing the puzzles in recent episodes? Was it a Crystal Maze inspired? And Defo gave Crystal Maze vibes. Mm. Uh, First up, that's definitely my little sister. So hi, Emily. (laughs) I was going to say, I recognize the knight. Yep. Yep. That's cute. All the way up in Scotland at the moment. So lovely to hear from you. (laughs) How did I go about it? First of all, I work in an escape room. So, ah, this makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) straight away. I feel like that explains almost everything you need to know. Up until now, we've not really had any like explicit puzzles in the in the show. 
Uh, I think the closest that we got to an explicit puzzle was the the notes in Kral's Tower. Yeah. Like mm. sort of piecing those together, putting them in the right order. And we all know how well we did with that, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything else has been a narrative problem. So in setting up the Wingthrops as these like paragons of intelligence, the joy of deciding that they test people, like in a rigorous test before they're accepted fully into the family and to see like the inner sanctum, as it were was just like a really fun idea and not something that I wanted to miss. The amount of puzzles for the maze in particular, I maybe went overboard. Not uh, at all. No, no. I, I, I <laughs> well, would disagree with that statement. <laughs> I don't think you went overboard at all. There was a lot of uh, thinking cut. that We were like, are these episodes going to be like 45 minutes long? <laughs> but everyone everyone really managed to, to keep it slick and keep character action going mm. like through the puzzle solving, which is just something i love about these players anyway like you can put anything in front of them and it's it's a character choice and a character solving it rather than just like the the puzzle or the problem but yeah basically in the whole maze the the point of the puzzle was to try and test them in every way that the wingthrops thought a person was valuable mm. so each of the tests has got a hint towards something that the wingthrops make or something that they value in some way yeah like obviously like they make wands so having an entire puzzle based around producing a wand with limited capability like yeah like it it entirely made sense um the actual designing of the puzzles essentially it was a lot of conversations uh with my wife being like what do i do i've got this kind of puzzle i got this kind of puzzle and i still need four more to make a full cube and i'm gonna hold my hands up she gave me a lot of ideas so you can blame her for the trauma that I inflicted upon you all. I like that. It's a team thing. <laughs> yeah. And you you both worked together to try and make rooms that would kill everyone if yeah. they got it wrong. Yeah. Oh, every, yeah. Sing- every single room had to have uh, some kind of penalty for being stupid. Yeah. Mm. I mean, literally. From like the Wingtrop's right point the of view. <laughs> yeah. I even stole that for a one shot that I DM'd, David, the very first one. The, yeah. With the table. And it nearly killed the players. Yeah. Um, and it was so much fun just to see the absolute sheer panic on their face when I was like, the walls are moving five more feet closer. And they just could not clock it. I think uh, I was even signposting really obviously at some points. And they were saying like, one person was saying the right thing and everyone else was like, no, no, it's not going to be that obvious. And it's like, mm. oh my <laughs> gosh, oh my gosh, yeah. you're going to die. Yeah. And there was a rule of three with these as well. It's kind of like with the both with the walls closing in mm-hmm. and there was another one with the the poison filling up yeah 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 the like, acid, okay yeah. you get this wrong you get this wrong a few times and you're out yeah which is a bit crazy when you're like how how would you have dealt with it if then yeah they hadn't figured out that whole thing with the table leg? <laughs> there, 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 there were a lot of uh plans essentially like backup plans just in case and uh, luckily they 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 survived those moments so i didn't have to use any of the backup plans but yeah there were there were a lot of like oh if it all does go wrong we can try this and see if see if the narrative can still move forwards i mean say they got crushed you know you could just have an arm the stuff that's created by the wing throat you could rebuild gaius give him a bit of extra face oh yeah 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 Yeah, that's 100 percent something that they do yeah <laughs> amazing I'm, I'm really looking forward to the end though where they're all in the big you know the crystal dome and they're trying to catch the money catch yeah. The, yeah, 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 yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely to the aztec zone to be fair i do love the crystal maze like any any of those like 
we're getting really into Taskmaster at the moment. Mm. Like, oh, yeah. literally started watching it from series one last week, and we're already up to series four. Just the, like, here is a challenge, but you've got the, the open possibility of solving it in a variety of ways. Love that. Absolutely love that. Mm. Well, I can't wait to see the, the next ones as well, because I think this is going to come out just after episode 36. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Everybody else is going to know, but I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to see what these yeah. these last couple of rooms are all about. Yeah, so yeah, that's uh, the thing. You guys have heard up to the, um, the, lo- the lovingly dubbed the Pokemon, the Hedgehog mm. Room. Oh, yeah, and all of that. Um, all the feels. Yeah, there's a lot of hands on hearts going on in the Zoom. I can see. <laughs> uh-huh. Like yeah, like just sorry to jump in, but that room was really trying. Not in like how to solve it, but actually. It was really interesting at how I recognized how I played D anD D, and also how Gaius perceives like the world. Like, there's a re- like I, I. It's one of my favorite quotes ever, ever in this whole show, actually, because it just came out of the blue. Like, guy, like guy was like, "Why would we interview a rat about what's going on in a laboratory? Like, why would we care about that mm-hmm. point of view?" And then June is just like, "Well, I would ask that question," and then it it just completely yeah. made sense, and I was like, "Oh, damn!" Like. This is how Guy perceives yeah. the world. Like, how do I use well, things? A, and then Juno was just like, "It is in his blood." <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know, but yeah. it, sh- it it really, yeah, it did shake me, and it shook all of us as a cast. And, yeah, uh, well, it's, it's it is very interesting because, as David was saying earlier about like, oh, these are the things that the skills that the Winthrops would find uh, useful. You know, that they value mm-hmm. in the same way what they're doing to those animals doesn't really matter. You know, they are like you say, lab rats. They're there for that purpose. Yeah. Mm. Uh, which, you know, was just such a... It's cruel. Particularly it heard is. it from Daryl. Yeah, well, that's like... Yeah, Enkidu, I feel like, was the uh, the character that saw the moral quandary in, in that puzzle. And, like, obviously that was put there on purpose. Everybody else was very much in puzzle mode. Like, they were kind of aware of mm. of that moral yeah. question. But they were like, well, we need to solve it to, like, get out. And it, and it, it took Enkidu and Daryl stopping everyone and saying, look at what we're doing. Is there a nicer? Is is there a better way to be doing this? Should we be doing this? Should we proceed? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's the same for the listeners as well, because I mean, yeah. well, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking purely on my own behalf here, but I was thinking like, okay, how do I solve this room? Mm-hmm. And then it what it took uh, Daryl saying that as in Kidu for me to be like, oh yeah, there's a lot more going on here with ethics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, and I can't remember because we we did stop for about 10 minutes to sort of discuss the to discuss some of the morals and some of that made it into the episode but but not all of it so i'm not sure whether or not it is in the episode or not oh no i'm gonna have Where, to go back and listen to it yeah, um, no, we had a very raw conversation about it we did we had a very frank and honest conversation which was brilliant and i felt like it really like landed it all with everybody as as perform and and brought everyone slightly out of that puzzle solving mode mm, mm. having everyone stopping and fully realize the ethics of the situation it made them realize that the the cruelty of the wingthrups as well mm. up until that point they'd only met myra and ferrisine who were both children and both very nice yeah and the only yeah. time we'd seen the elementals was when they had been like 
uh, mixed together after they've been converted. Yeah. We, 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 I imagined in my head these, I was like, I remember early on in the episode being like, this is a weird part of the country where suddenly these like lava monsters and lightning fiends are like cruising around the countryside when obviously that's not the case. I was seeing like the end of it. I was seeing the cake baked, this demonic, horrible cake when actually, like you say, we didn't see the side of it that we didn't see how the sausage was being made. Yeah, exactly. Wait, is this a is this a cake or a sausage? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> right. it's a sausage cake. I don't know. It's a, okay. Either one way or another, it's a really Yum. cruel thing. It's a cruel thing to have done. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like that not only like made them ask those moral questions and the ethical questions of of animal cruelty and things like that, mm. but also gave them an insight into the Wingthrop's position on it all. Yeah, I think Daryl had sort of picked up on some of the the Wingthrop cruelty earlier on as well when he was um he has a conversation i can't remember with who but he he basically like airs his doubts of should we be worrying about the Wingthrops should we be trusting them getting in because of the way that they treat intelligence like to them someone who's not intelligent is not worthy is that even is that the line already so then i feel like this almost like escalated it yeah like that point for a lot of uh well for everybody else mm. okay amazing they're bad uh, they're bad people is yeah. essentially the whole point of the the situation yeah, I'm, but. I'm really looking forward to seeing the next step because it kind of sounds like enkidu might have definitely made up his mind where his allegiances are going to lie mm-hmm. on the other side of this thing amazing that that was question one um, so, <laughs> does that does that answer the question? I, I think like so. It. I think we yeah. segued into something beautiful, but um, yeah, 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 really nice. Uh, let's have another question, <laughs> which is themed. Uh, this one's for Chris this time uh, from Ashley Hooch Dangerfield. How do you think Guy feels knowing that he could be related to Orin? Oh, um, <laughs> well, first off, that was a fun puzzle that did not need to be a puzzle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Walk up, say hello, they'll let you in. <laughs> but, <all> right, yeah. <laughs> um, as a character, how does Guy feel about Orin being a potential family member? Well, Guy actually has a very traditional view of family and that family, you know, is meant to have your back. Family is, you know, the collective and that's something that he's always been instilled in, that has always been instilled in him since an early age. You know, the most important thing in life is family. But... That's his traditions, whereas his experiences have warped that and forced him to have to sort of reflect on that. And the idea that Orin, who is already, you know, sort of like, you know, quote unquote, already kind of a family member, Mm. it kind of feels right. And it kind of, I think for for Guy, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what that is. That's, That's knowing that somebody, you know, somebody is... I think by this point, guys worked out that Oren's a pretty cool dude. Like, as in he's mm. he's in terms of his like morals and stuff, he he trusts him. Yeah, he trusts him, and I think that it fits that he's family it is in guys' eyes. Yeah, because uh, I think it was Oren who first it was Oren who got the vision of Guys' mum mm. and that whole thing about you know the um, guys playing the music for his mum and you know how she. So actually, mm. Orin was the first person to get Guy to open up even slightly, you know, that has basically paved the way for, for what we're seeing now. So it is kind of nice, like, full circle moment to be like, oh, okay, they, they, are, they are related in, in some way. Mm. And I, I 
be really interested in asking Ben as well how this affects Orin's kind of standing now within the group if he knows that somebody is related to him because i remember in another no small questions we were talking about you know orin is much the uh like cut and run uh mm. will and i wonder whether like the blood dynamic will kind of change that it'll be yeah it'll be really interesting give him an excuse to yeah yeah and uh i'm sure gaius wants another brother after what's going on with his other <laughs> I, 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 no I, words on that. No I can words. I can neither confirm nor deny. Um, <laughs> however, what I will say is, uh, yeah, definitely. Like we we like we've hit it on the head already that like you know he has got a very challenged view on family from what he originally had. So the idea of loyalty for him is a very difficult thing for him to process at the moment. And I think it's like people need to be worthy of his trust, and I definitely think that Orin is that, and I think this group is definitely that. Um, mm. I do think at times, sort of, this is going into a bit more of what Guy's sort of going through constantly is he's always thinking, okay, but when's it going to end? Okay, yeah. but when, where's, where's the escape route in this? You know what I mean? So, you know, he's, oh he's God. always got, he's always got like, he's always like when he walks into a building, he's always thinking like, where's the exit just in case something goes wrong and I have to skedaddle. So in that case, he's kind of like Oren as well. But, I was going to say, yeah, definitely I think he's, a relative. Yeah. I think, but I think he's, um, I think he's definitely just. I think he sees it as an exciting thing. I think he's, I think he's less bothered about the wing th- thing, and he's just more excited about the Orin thing. <laughs> it's oh, how he so views cute. it, I guess. <laughs> like, oh my god, I'm related to Aggie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's just like, oh my gosh, this guy can do some cool things, and um, you know, he's not a joker who's going to steal my gold. So yeah, okay, I'll hang around with him. <laughs> so good. So good. He's like he's the chatty version, and then Orion is the quiet version. They'll be the yeah, two yeah, yeah. the two siblings that complete each other. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I feel like Guy and Orin are like those two cousins in like the family reunion, where like there's like the young quiet one, and like there's a slightly older like brash loud one, and the young one's always like, oh please, please, just I will go with any member of the family, but just not Guy. <laughs> because he will keep me up all night talking and blah 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 and i'll just like come in and give him a big old bear hug and just be like oh my gosh what did you do this summer i did this 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 and orange just like i just want to read i just (laughs) want to make things just want to sit over here thanks it's like you've just broke you just walked into the room and broken my like lego set (laughs) i was working really hard on making a goose and now it's just like ruined (laughs) die your bags on my foot <laughs> Guy taking up three seats in the back of the car. <laughs> Orin trying to like sit in one corner and just, like one corner, just like yeah. Can you stop taking up my space? Oh, that is a really cute mental image. Can you stop playing your your guitar so loud? I'm trying to read. Yeah. Or just Orin just be like, it, it's really like, I really like that you've got this hobby guy. Like you're, it, it sounds really nice, but could you just please? Not not yet. Yeah, yeah. I just I have this mental image now of them both sitting next to each other and like. As as like toddlers, and they yeah, give guy his, little, his little first kids. like little little lute or little ukulele or something, and then they go over to and Orin's just there like playing with building blocks and like you know building them into something. Ah, um, fan art, please, Karen. That'd be yeah. great. There's definitely a one shot in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, where they just suddenly become like what's like what's that sort of Japanese sort of um, craze where it's like everything's dressed every Chibi. like. Was it? Chibis. Yeah. Chibis. Absolutely. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There used to be a one shot where they just become chibis. They're like cute yeah, little. Where they're like cute. Chibi yeah, things. Like to- toddler versions of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah almost. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Chibis in the crystal maze. Let's I would do it. I love it. Okay. 
You heard it here first, everyone. Um, (laughs) Amazing. Let's move on to another question for David. Uh, This is from Mike C, uh, who's asked, how did you come up with the idea of giving ones power sources? Oh, it was a few things. First of all, I'm pretty sure, and Sam, you're pretty hot up on the rules, so you can confirm with me. You're pretty savvy. (laughs) Wands, I'm pretty sure you can only really use them if you're a spellcaster. Yeah, unless they have charges in them. Right. It's normally the thing. It's like, oh, this is a wand of this. You can spend three charges a day or something like that, or, or a week, and then they recharge after a week. Mm. So my thinking was that if there was like a magical power source that would re- remove the, the, the point of you needing to be a spellcaster and using your own power sources, as it were, so... So these ones could be handed around to anybody, which is why I think um, it's really sort of a good example is that Gwendolyn has got her, her wand of fairy fire mm. and she can still use it. So for that, it was a kind of shorthand. And it was just in a narrative way, another way to set up the, the elemental batteries, mm. sort of give everybody a, a hint of, of how the Wingthrops make things, that they are like tied to these, to these batteries, to these power sources without it being a dangerous thing at that point. It's like, literally, here's a small example of it. Next time you see it, it's going to be a bit bigger. Time after that, it's going to be an even bigger uh, problem. So, yeah, I, I, can't, I, I can't pinpoint like the exact thing that was like, oh, that's a great idea, or like the, the point of inspiration. But that was the purpose of, of giving the ones power sources. <laughs> the only slight retcon that I, I have made is that when I put the ones in the Vondell study at that point I hadn't planned for them to be Wingthrop ones oh yeah but it, it's just a really handy thing that Gaia said stolen some so mm. or it's stolen just the one um, and then they picked up another wand or whatever on the way so it was like oh it makes sense that like this is a something that the Wingthrops make I decided that later on so of course the Vondells as like a show of of wealth yeah, have gotten their hands happen, on these yeah. like the fanciest ones oh that's really clever because it was Myra that picked up on it, wasn't you know? She was like, "Oh, that's one of ours." That's one of us. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so that's like that's the only thing that I I actually decided after the fact. But it, it was again, it was such an, a nice, neat narrative tie-in that there was there was nothing not to do it. Basically, there were there were no bad reasons for tying those things together. It kind of makes um, Orin's sustainable battery. Of like mm. pearls and like his various gizmos and gadgets, even more exciting. Yeah, because yeah. even Myra's like, "Oh, you do that? That's kind. Of, that's weird. That's kind of cool." And when Myra gets excited, like we all as listeners are like, "Oh, this must be like, mm. like new technology for them to consider." Like you know that there isn't a cost to like an organism or a living thing, you know, to do magic. Yeah, yeah, which is a really cool thing as well. So it kind of feels like, and I mean that's that's the whole point, I guess, of the artificer class is to is to make it feel like. Um, to give that creativity to the player, but also to 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 give that chance of putting a character in the world that can do new stuff that no one else has seen before. Yeah, to literally be the inventor and like the, yeah, make those decisions about what what it is that that powers their creations, what it is that like like pushes the technology forward of the world. Mm. Can I ask actually? I mean, this isn't actually a, a question in there. Uh, th- th- would would you have gone down the like the, the battery powered ones and mm-hmm. the very much like tinker side, the artificer side of the world, if you hadn't had one in the party? Was that like 
inspired by having Ben on the team playing this character? Or did you already have an idea when you dreamed up El Timpir that this might happen? Um, yeah, I think it was partly inspired by Ben's choice of being an artificer. I mean, I really like the whole a world with magic hasn't necessarily gotten to like our level of modern technology. But I, I, I do often find it a bit weird that like in a lot of fantasy games, you've got like everyday common folk who are literally tilling the land with their hands, living next door to a wizard who can make plants grow at the top of drop of a hat. You know, <laughs> it kind of doesn't make sense. Um, so I do like having the sort of magic built into everyday life and in a lot of ways then that that opens up like technological options yeah whether or not the wingthrops in particular would have been like this artificery i don't know i think when i made some decisions that orin for instance was tied to the family that of course it made a lot more sense for them to be similar Mostly so that everyone could have that debate of like, well, that's too obvious. He's an artificer. They're artificers. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly this is, they're not related. And it's like, no, the fun of it is, is that they are. I've, I've got a quick question. Just just a quick one for David. Now I'm super <laughs> curious because you talked about like the, the, the genesis of El Tempir. Um, mm. And I, I'm just super curious, like, what was the start of the map? Like, I, like, what was, when you first thought of this continent, like, what mm. was the first character or geographical site, or culture, or just what was like the spark that was like, oh, this could be in this place. Um, that's quite tricky. Do you so, do, do you go through a map, or do you go through like culture, or the experiences you want the players to have? Like, what what was the first? Yeah, basically that was it. Like, what was the first like uh, idea? A first idea to so, occupy El Tempe, like the Big Bang. Um, the whole the whole world map was drawn years and years ago. Uh, for the the campaign that I play, the long running seven or eight year, however long it is, campaign that I play with Vicky, like sort of because they've travelled a lot of that world, I drew out the whole world in case they wanted to go anywhere, but mm-hmm. I didn't like populate it. But in El Timpir, the the first place was Dram. Oh, which we haven't been I've to. Not been to. Um, I ran that as a one shot for my family, again maybe four or five years ago now. Uh, and they were criminals for the Hex. And that's where the Hex started. So, oh. so El Timpir for me has always been tainted with like Hex activity and like underhandedness. Mm. When it came to like planning the story of the campaign, I was just, I'm, I'm, I still am, I'm, like the effects of colonialism was really like the point that I want to kind of make across this entire thing. Is that like with the elves coming in, pushing the Orcosians out, uh, pushing the native people out, there's already a struggle there. But then even in amongst the people that like the the Ailish Empire, that being divided between am I gonna be sort of join this meritocracy where I've got no hope in in finding a place in the system, or am I gonna go off by myself? Uh, like basically the 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 Ailish, the Ailand Dravain divide again is like another sort of effect uh, and like repercussion of this initial colonialization of of the place that's that's basically the the starting point for for the world is that there is there is a, a national trauma that has had a, a an ongoing effect and even thousands of years later is still having an effect on people's attitudes in the region mm. people that's still sanitizing so cool. their hands 
yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to take it to a slightly, yeah, more culturally um, dissective place. That's 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 the the point of of making the place as it is was to like investigate what those cultures would look like. Yeah. Cool. That's so yeah. good as well, because you can keep building on that. And when we get to yeah. um, season two of No Small Roles, <laughs> we will have a like even more places that you can then explore and be like, oh, actually, you know, okay, we've done it on this continent. Maybe there's mm-hmm. another place over here that we can explore. And uh, yeah, that's really exciting. I, di- I didn't realize that the, the actual lore of it all that you'd created was has been around for so long, but it makes sense because of how in the world you are like and how mm-hmm. it's so you are so confident with this world that we're like okay it's this yeah cool you're imagining it for us if yeah. that makes sense i yeah. don't think any of that made sense I but it think did to I me understand what you're saying <laughs> sure sure let's move on uh, <laughs> so question number four yes that's right it's question number four and we've been chatting for half Aaron an hour i love it okay sorry uh, <laughs> we'll try and do some quick quick fire yeah we'll do quick no, fire no. No, yeah. I'm 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 really enjoying this. I'm just sorry if if we don't get to your question, guys. Uh, it's just because these guys are so interesting. I'm sorry. We keep, uh, keep veering <laughs> off into other subjects. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but we do actually have uh, another voice that is going to join the chat right now. It is super super fan Pippa who has a question for David. So Pip, over to you. Hi, David. Hi. My question for you is: Does having sole control over the finished score make it easier or more difficult? compared with working alongside a musical director or a conductor, for example? Mm, Great question. That is a brilliant (laughs) question. Does it make it easier? I think it obviously doesn't lessen the workload, (laughs) (laughs) but I am a tad bit of a control freak when it comes to the music. So in that sense, easier, that I can just do it and set like get it all done, volume check it and stuff myself and go, yes, this is exactly how I want it to be. So yeah, easier. I I do think if having someone else on the team, it would be perhaps quicker <laughs> having someone else to like bounce ideas off of. Uh, the only thing is that quite often I do the music, I start work on the music on the Monday and the episode comes out on Sunday. So if I were working with someone else that they would have to always be available to my whims. Because <laughs> I'd start writing something, send it over to them, and I'd need need feedback straight away. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, to be honest, even in a lot of the other work that I've done, music work-wise, I've not often worked with a huge amount of other people. Obviously, we've had some fun way back in uni. Me and Pippa wrote some stuff together. Pippa is an excellent orchestrator. If anybody wants to hire her, please do. I did think this was an application. <laughs> is that what this question is? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was leading. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, genuinely, it's just, it's just, it comes down to me just needing complete control over everything and the speed that I need it done. When I, when I go back to, a, to my day job, who knows if I'm going to be able to handle it by myself. <laughs> Let's not think about that yet. Um, but yeah, for the moment, it's perhaps easier. That's, I feel like that's where I'm falling in. Like, it is difficult, but perhaps easier. That's really ambiguous, but great. Uh, thank you so much for the question, Pippa. I've, I have a confused look on my face. That's, yeah, yeah. I think I'm that still was doubting it. myself in what I'm saying. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure when he goes back to work, that's Pippa when you get to step in, Please save do. the day, come up with yeah. all the musical scores. <laughs> yeah, when David suddenly um, 
you know, has a has a freak accident. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when all of the files are coming your way, Pip. <laughs> <laughs> you might you might need to download Ableton first because all of the files are on Ableton. But please, please be prepared. Thank you very much. I was going to say when you um when you finally get round to having all your scores performed by a live orchestra, I am totally down with being your conductor. Oh, oh yes, please. Oh yes. Um yes. Rounds of applause coming from the other patrons. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I am on board. Mostly again because I'm terrified of actual musicians. So if you could t- <laughs> They're looking at my 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 scores going, that's impossible to play, Dave. That's <laughs> I can't sing this. That's the thing I get back from a lot of my casts. Who can sing that? Where's the breath? There is no breath. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pippa. Um Okay, uh, on to another question. Uh, this one is from me. I've actually, I've written it all down. This is a question for you, Chris. I'm going to try and read it as a, I don't know why I've written an entire paragraph here, but I'm just going to read it out. Excellent. How many so, marks do I get for this question? Uh, depends how you answer it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, show you're working. Uh, we've had some pretty interesting revelations with Gaius's backstory recently. Mm. Uh, namely being an untested wingthrop, and his sister, Treya, uh, potentially being a high-ranking member of the Hex. So these moments, well, I'm going to be honest, they kind of sounded like they surprised you when they happened. Uh, so I was wondering, how much of Guy's backstory did you plan, like yourself, before the game started, and how much of the information did you leave to the DM's discretion? Mm. Uh, so, so basically, is this all fresh news to you, Chris? So, actually. I know this. I know Guy's story quite extensively. Um, it's funny, really, because I, I tend to play with when when it comes to D and D characters. I've played with like having like knowing every inch of their backstory, and then having a character where I'm like, it's that I, I know this, and then the rest is like what we discover from the character. And I've enjoyed both. But with Guy, um, David, and I had a big deep discussion about like where Guy's family are from who they are, what roles they play, what's occurred in Guy's life to bring him to this point. So I knew exactly where Guy had been and what he'd been doing and how he'd been surviving up until the start of the campaign. How it's been revealed has totally been down to like complete surprise or it's been from like really reluctant like Guy being like forced to tell the truth or to like quickly lie and then get caught up in those lies. And I think those have genuinely been moments when I have been the most nervous because, you know, it's been like wonderful moments when it's been uh, Oren just being like, oh, I, I saw this in a dream about your mum. And Guy suddenly like his the hairs on the, on the back of his head, on the back of his head, uh, neck go. <laughs> the whole back of his head. The whole back of his head. <laughs> Basically, Whoa. you know, he is just like, yeah, he's just like. Woo. Um, and uh, my favorite one is that it seems to be Gwen at the moment who like every time it, yeah. there's just something about Gwen there's something about Grace where it's like who's yeah. going to take watch and then Guy will be like yeah sure I'll do it and then uh, Gwen goes I'll do it with I'll you do it as well with you. and then suddenly Guy goes you know what I'm actually quite tired right now <laughs> you see there's something that lights up in Grace's eyes every time yeah, Chris every says every time every time it's every, just the gentle like, pressure oh I'm going to learn something else ooh here yeah. we go yeah <laughs> and I can see it coming a mile off but I know that I, I just can't say no to Grace mm. and, and and you know there there is there is a way that Grace just talks with Gwen and 
because Gwen's been with Guy the longest, like to Guy, Gwen is very much like a sister. Yeah, she's very much like they are thick as thieves, like they've been through a lot. And Gwen has been the person who's spoken to Guy the, the softest in over like X amount of years. In a long time. Mm. And it's I've only just thought of that now that Gwen speaks the softest to Guy than anyone's ever spoken to Guy for a very, very long time. And I think mm. that like sort of cuts through all the bullshit. It's That's not a harsh word. Yeah. It's not a knife to the throat. It's just a soft, quiet concern that is mm. not the which I am not expecting, which is the answer, I guess, to that. It's a very like every you know, kind of like blue sky kind of thing, isn't it? The way that she presents it to Gaius of like, it's okay, I'm here to talk whenever you're ready, but is this something that you want to talk about? Yeah. And it, it was very interesting the way that Guy then was like, no, that was a lie. My sister's name was Treya. Mm. And like opened up that door. It was, it was his choice. He, he didn't have to cast suggestion on himself. No. Uh, as we've <laughs> seen before, works when you're telling the truth to Gwendolyn. But yeah, it's kind of those those walls are starting to come down with you. But that is interesting. It's it's clearly just good acting from you, Chris. That I'm like, oh, he does. I I kind of got this idea that you were like, oh, I've I've created this masked bard, but actually, I don't want to create a backstory for him. He has somewhat of a face. He has a mask. He has a loot and a sword that has so far no explanation to it. Um, oh, that's and one thing. David, you can play with the rest of it. That is, to be fair, that is the one part of his story that I have no, absolute no clue about. It's the sword. It was yeah. literally right. the decision for me to have that sword. Everyone's like, oh, the sword. And when I whipped out the sword in like the first, like, um, you know, the Rondell arc, I was like, I get out the sword. And everyone's like, oh, here comes the sword. Here comes the sword. It's going to be the epicness. And I was just like, oh, and I do something. And it failed, obviously, straight away. Yeah. And then someone was just like, what happened? And then I just revealed straight away, I literally got this sword from a card game because I was like, I don't want Guy to have like epically awesome like stuff. I want him to be on the back foot because he has been like living on the road. He has been stealing, thrifting, getting anything that's not been bolted down. And then on my character sheet, it was like, you have one weapon, uh, you, have an, you have a weapon, what is it going to be? And I was like, I don't want him to be like a, a bard with a rapier. Like, he knows exactly what yeah. he's doing straight away. I know my skills. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know his skills. He's been only playing for a year. So I was like, give him a freaking long sword because <laughs> that would be such a cumbersome thing. So the fact he had it on his back, and I remember, like, <laughs> the first time that I described Guy, I said, he's got this long sword on his back. And I remember Daryl being like, ooh, that's interesting. And I was like, ha joke's on you. I have no clue <laughs> how to use this thing. <laughs> it's not interesting at all. <laughs> so, and, and it's kind of like, you know what's funny with the sword? It's like, I'm so tempted to sell it. I keep thinking mm-hmm. about selling it. Then there's just a part of me, I'm just like, oh, what if there's a really cool thing about this sword? But every time I keep going to a vendor or something like that, they're always just like, yeah, it's a pretty good sword. <laughs> I just might just be a sword, but I don't want to give it away. And then suddenly, like <laughs> David's just like, so that sword you gave away was like you know the ancient ancestral sword of the dragon lords or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just for that far off it's, panic. Do you, yeah, the only thing that's going to stop the end of the world again. That is, and the thing is, that's that's entirely down to the fact that David is my freaking DM. It's the fear of of, of the, I'm hoarding all the things I've got in case just they are relevant somehow. <laughs> 
I absolutely <sighs> love this. I mean, you know, you are you are a Winthrop now. There's a chance that you could put like a little charge in the bottom of that sword, and it means that you can use it. It becomes a lightsaber. Who knows? The possibilities for you now are endless, sir. I have been. I actually had, did have the thing the other day. I was walking to work, and uh, I was just thinking, man, guy's got quite high decks, hasn't he? Actually. And he doesn't like being in the fray too much. Oh my gosh, why have I not made him like a range? Why has he not picked up a crossbow somewhere? So he's definitely I'm... getting hold of a crossbow <laughs> or something. Because I was just like, why has he never thought to do this before? Oh my gosh, that's per- yeah. that's the perfect weapon for him. And like, it kind of makes sense because he doesn't run into a fight. He does use all of his magic from a distance. So yeah, why has he not got a ranged weapon? Exactly, I think that's exactly <laughs> right. Because like that that's the thing, guy's working it out. Because I didn't yeah. want a character who knew exactly what he was great at. I didn't want like yeah. an awesome knight who like knew how to do martial for martial dueling and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's what like doubly makes it hilarious is how well you rolled for your stats. Yeah. If Gaius, the character, put his mind to it, he probably could like absolutely kick butt in a in a martial contest. But yeah, like obviously, like he's even figuring out. It's almost like the character isn't aware of what their strengths and weaknesses are, and that is an amazing thing to play. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting because uh, yeah. you know you're talking at it from a you know a stat perspective. The charisma, specifically in like the early bits, wasn't that high. So was that? No, I don't think we should get. I don't want to know all of your secrets, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have also been slightly distracted by um, Karen, who is in the Zoom right now. Uh, we mentioned earlier about baby. Orin and baby Gaius together and she just posted in the chat ask and you shall receive I really hope this shows up on the Instagram because it's freaking adorable it's, amazing, it's so good how have you knocked it's- that out in the is this how long we've been chatting that you are able to create magic <laughs> oh wow um, that's amazing yeah check oh, it out really on all the social oh media that is genius <laughs> yeah right oh so good mate Wow. Uh, yeah, all you listeners, this is uh, this is great listening entertainment. Please go to the Instagram <laughs> where you will hopefully find this picture. Yeah, uh, yeah. It is we'll worth put it. all of the links over to it. All of the links. <laughs> so good. Uh, thank you so much for answering my really long question there, Chris, uh, and giving me a little <laughs> bit more detail as well. Next up, we have a question for David. It's from at Rev Ross Michael. Uh, hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, who has asked, at the time travel table, Juna suggested travelling forward a week or a year before Orin settled on one day. As mm. DM, how would you have handled it if they'd gone for a longer amount of time than just 24 hours? Uh, and there has been a note here that says that uh, Tiamat Dangerblade also asked a similar question to this on mm-hmm. Discord. So um, I hadn't made huge amounts of decisions when they were at the table as to what it was going to look like if they activated it. Beyond the fact that if they activated it, what they would actually see is a vision of the future, but lived out in real time. I'd made that decision. What was going to come next? I had not decided. <laughs> Mostly because I almost expected them to do like a 10 minutes or like maybe an hour. But the first suggestion was, let's jump forward a year. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> what? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I don't have plans for this. Um, but largely in my head the point of the table if like and and it's kind of then what played out in the day the extra day that they had is that they were going into almost like a hard mode hard difficulty for whatever came next Mm. it's like they flicked a switch and like they're playing a, a, a much more difficult version of the game mostly so that they knew that 
if they went through a certain series of choices, that something bad would happen. And so they should make the opposite series of choices or like choose something else. Mm. That's just always something really fun to play with, with these like time travel shenanigans of like seeing the darkest timeline. Everyone wants to know what the worst thing could have been. Yeah. So why not just show them that? So if anything, it's actually quite nice then that that they did silly things in that time yeah. as well, just to make it easier. Exactly, for exactly, yeah. Um, sort of obviously, like once they'd activated it, we then had a little bit of time. They activate in episode seven, and like the the full twenty four hours doesn't end toward the ep- until the end of episode eight. But it, it gave me just enough time to like think out like bad options. Uh, if they had gone into the forest, for example they might have been able to learn some of Kral's plan. And then like, it would have obviously then brought them back to the thing. So they knew what he was going to do and it would give, would have given them more time to explore the town and stop that. But no matter what, I was always going to make it difficult for them. And if they had gone a full year, I would have essentially just been gunning for Orin the whole time because it was his vision. (laughs) He would have. Oh, he would have died. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If he dies, then it would have brought him back. So no, like I, I would have given them some information and then basically killed Orin off rather than killing other characters off. A random lightning bolt streams from the sky. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, suddenly every encounter. Why are the enemies always just attacking Orin? He stood right at the back. <laughs> you know, that's what oh it could have turned into. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting concept, though. Like, if, if you'd been trying to kill him, but hadn't really managed to the point where you start getting listeners being like, he really seems to be gunning for the artificer here like what, yeah. what's going on and they yeah. get like the other side of the lake they keep traveling north they, the they, they deal with the first thing for the arcanist consortium and then yeah. you're like oh shit it's been a year okay you're back in tillisham yep have fun and orin would be the only one that would remember it as well <laughs> if, if if orin had somehow survived all of the things that i would have been throwing his way then we would have had no choice but to play out a full year Wow. Or my, my little brain would have been coming up with some other completely random explanation as to why the table didn't work. <laughs> that seems more of a cop-out, though, is to like... So yeah, I would, have, I would have thrown them back. I would have shown them loads of bad things, thrown them back, and then made them decide what to do with all of the information coming their way. Great question. Yeah, That's really, really, really yeah. good question. Um, I'm also now thinking, like, this actually opens up a chance for you to do parallel tangent universes within yeah. the same world, you know, yeah. that have the same characters, but completely different events. Like you say, you know, they could play through this game and then, okay, they, they finish it. Now you play on hard mode or expert mode. or Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what happens if Krell won. If Krell got to his table and got it back. Uh, oh, you know what? I kind of want to see a universe where, like, an empowered Krell goes up against, like whatever the Wingthrops have got against and like all the rest of them. Can you imagine that? Just like all of the mages against each other, the darkest timeline and all the like big baddies are all just going against each other. Yeah. Like if these adventurers had not existed, so you have to play as like either a Kral or a member of the consortium or a Wingthrop or something like that and deal with like all the horrors going on around you. Uh, I am really looking forward to no small roles. Divination table reboot. Uh, that will be season two reloaded <laughs> amazing really really good question there thank you so much for that one over to let's go back to Superfan Pippa uh, who this time has a question for Chris hi Chris hey I have a music related question for you mm. surprise surprise uh, one of my favourite things about Gaius is his brilliant popular music and musical theatre songs references 
What do you think his dream musical theatre role would be or which tribute act could you see him fronting? <sighs> oh my gosh, wow. Mm-hmm. What a question. That is a great question. I mean, <laughs> really oh, cool. so many. Oh my gosh, would he not just make a great... Um, what's his name from Chicago, the lawyer, who's like, give them the old razzle-dazzle. Yes. Yes. I mean, my mind went straight away to Jesus from Jesus Christ Superstar because he's such an egotist. But at the same time, I think like the razzle-dazzle <laughs> he'd, he'd want to play the biggest roles. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could I play all of them at once? Um, no, I think, uh, yeah, it would be that guy. Guy is doing one man Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, oh Amazing. my God, there we go, see. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a dead hand for uh, guys and dolls as well. Uh, the I mean, you've got the accent down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, down is down is a very liberal term. <laughs> Again, to my America, to our American uh, listeners, uh, I'm not technically doing an American accent. I'm doing an, it's you know, Eilish. an accent from yeah. El Tempier. So it's technically accurate, but no, I'm really enjoying it. Um, so yeah, I think if I'm honest with you, Pepper, one the the musical would po- probably be that role. Billy Flynn, that's his name. Billy Flynn. Mm. Billy Flynn would be definitely mm-hmm. uh, there. Um, and as for like, oh, like a tribute act. Oh, it's got to be Meatloaf. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I would do him a thing for love. <laughs> While everyone else is dying around him. <laughs> and I would do him a thing for love. Heal oh me, but I won't do that. <laughs> for God's sake, guy, heal me. <laughs> I mean, isn't there a, there's a meatloaf musical, isn't there? Oh, there Bats Out of Hell, yeah. Bats Out of Hell, that's it, yes. yes. That is a musical I need to go see, because my gosh. Same, apparently it is mad. Uh, oh, I can imagine. It, yeah, something that uh, David Knight might have concocted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, don't don't put me near that. <laughs> it's, it's fine, it's fine if I'm not connected to that. <laughs> He's got his own world. Uh, that, that is <laughs> such a good question, Piffa. Um, that's brilliant. That was, that was a really solid one. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. That's made my day. Pleasure. Absolute <laughs> pleasure. Keep throwing them at me. I love it. Any excuse to get some musical theatre references in there. I love it. Uh, okay, let's have another one. Uh, this is from at Matt Goes About. Uh, this one is for David. David, why do you hate horses? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so again, I'm going to explain this. Matt plays in the same campaign, that very long campaign with me and Vicky. All right, very good friends. There have been some horse deaths in that game as well. Oh, really? Yes. Now, I want to explain this very thoroughly, that they rode two horses into a battlefield. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I had already kidnapped those horses from them for an extended period of time. But then when I had re-delivered the horses to them, they then rode them into battle mm. and got on with the fight, but left the horses stood in the middle of the battle. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of So fair. I let a Frankenstein version of an old player character beat those horses to death. No! Oh. Oh my because I thought it was probably better to kill the horses than to kill another player character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously they, they won't accept that, that I was doing it for their own good. I killed two of I killed two loved pets of theirs. I understand this. I'm very sorry. But again, with Bessie, I was not in control of that. Mm-hmm. They led Bessie onto a small ship. I just knew there was going to be a fight on the ship. Mm-hmm. There were there's there's definitely loads of other things that could have happened in that fight. Unfortunately, the 
ele the unstable elemental stayed within the confines of the ship, mostly to keep mm. it away from everyone. They they were actually very clever in like for three or four rounds. It stayed at the far end. Mm. It didn't get a chance to attack. So actually, it like it could have been a lot worse. It could have gone for Bessie yeah. much quicker. In which case, yeah, sure, it would have been my fault. I mean, it was it was Enkidu, wasn't it? It was it Enkidu. Was Enkidu. Yeah. Though to be again to be fair to Enkidu. The following explosion from the elemental yeah, yeah. would yeah, yeah, have yeah, done yeah, the yeah. same thing. Like that would have that got everyone, and that would have unfortunately also killed Bessie. Chris was doing an amazing job of role playing Bessie, yeah, as a panicked horse. Really faithful. It was it was brilliant. Yeah, Bessie Bessie isn't a war horse. She never was. Like she was just some some old guy's horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we and we love obviously we love her dearly, but um, untrained animals in the middle of fights is always a bad idea in D&D. Yeah, yeah. Any D&D players out there, please keep your pets away from the battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and That from, is the and only David. advice that I can give to you is that we, we DMs will not hurt your pets if they are not targets. <laughs> keep them tied up and away. It's so true. It's so true. Like, there's no... It's an unfortunate thing of it. I, like, there's no... At the end of the day, if you're, if you're in a role-playing game and you're in a life-or-death mm. situation and you're on a horse... Someone's going to go at that horse. If you've yeah. got, you know, a lovable dog that is, you know, in a wizard's laboratory and something smashes and blows up, that dog ain't going to survive. It's not like the plot armor. I always disagree with the idea of plot armor. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think like, you know, keep that for Disney films. You know, the rest of it is like, yeah. you know, it makes it more gritty, more realistic, more fun. The, yeah. The, the, only, the only extra plot armor that bringing a horse into a battlefield gives is that Yes, again, they are another target. So if the choice is between hurting a player character or hurting the pet, sometimes narratively, yeah, not to use narrative as an, as an excuse, but it is almost nicer to, to target the pet because then the player character can carry on and also have experienced something traumatic. Not saying that yeah. all D&D character growth needs to be related to trauma, there's very many nice things that can happen in D&D. But if it avoids a player character death, but gives them something to, like, A, take away from the fight, then it's sometimes a, a good story option. Yeah, I, I, I did. It's not a good feeling. It's never a good <laughs> feeling. But it is a good story option. Liar. Did something very similar <laughs> in, uh, in, in my game where uh, there was one character who was, like, standing on top of the horses. Like, you know straddling two horses backs or something and this bandit captain like ran straight up um and had a choice of like hitting him or the horse and his ac at the time was very very low i was like right okay if this guy hits him it'll probably kill him so i was like mm. okay he just runs up and he's gonna like you know he's gonna shunt the horse you should have seen the rage on the players faces <laughs> of just this guy needs to die now like literally stopped all the fighting yeah. that they were doing with other people and targeted the horse hater mm. uh, yeah <laughs> i mean well, there, and again there is something to be said about stories and in films and things that like if the animals get hurt people react so much more to that than if like a person gets hurt oh, it's very weird strange isn't it oh my like, gosh like spoiler alert but you know when like um in deathly hallows where like hedwig dies yeah. When I when I when I was preparing myself for that book, I was like, I think Hagrid's gonna die. He's the one that like introduced Harry to the world. I went through mm -hmm. I went through in my head, I prepared myself mentally for every single character to die. The one character I did not run through the scenario of was Hedgewig. And when it did, it crippled me. It does, it does. It is it again, maybe and this kind of ties back to the whole like wing throw up cruelty. Maybe there is 
it's easier to be empathetic to a, an animal because they have less, I don't want to say less control over themselves, but they don't have the, the stakes that a humanoid character has. They don't have those same kind of like thought processes and things. So quite often the animal characters are brought into situations completely against their control. Mm. It's, it's a lot easier to be empathetic toward them and to attach. Plus quite often they're cute and people like obviously give them such love that when then something happens to them, the protector instincts kicked in and it has a much more uh, emotional effect. Mm. But yeah, again, it doesn't mean it's nice ever. I don't feel that way about artificial uh, familiars, to which end I'm like, I, oh, think I feel like Aggie, I, I, Aggie all the time. I'm yeah, like, she just gets rebuilt. I know. I'm like, everyone's like, oh, Aggie. I'm like, Aggie is useful, but I don't feel for Aggie <laughs> in that way. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Ben. I'm like, Aggie is super useful as a tool. <laughs> <laughs> but I did feel, you know, I, I did have a question here that was a follow-up that was like, you know, in fact, why do you hate all animals? Uh, because what you did to all of the animals from the fuzzy ball bag, uh, like, you know, <laughs> what you did to the well, horse, again, and now what you're doing fighters. In, yeah. the, in the whole, like, Winthrop, yes, we use animals. And, yeah. I mean, particularly the imagery of it being a lightning hedgehog, it kind of like yeah okay that i got pikachu oh. vibes from that but i also mm-hmm. got sonic i was seeing yeah. sonic the hedgehog in a ball and then you disintegrated him yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i and again it was it just to add to the point of it i i almost purposefully chose cute creatures hedgehogs Ugh. chaffinches like little fairies again to to highlight the fact that they they were innocent they're like completely innocent creatures in this situation so i'm sorry I hope the story explains itself, but I'm sorry, you evil, evil man. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, it's also that these guys can seem more heroic, though. So somebody, exactly, somebody has to go there. Uh, guys, I think we have time for one more question, and mm. aptly, it is for both of you. Uh, so this is from Shanomaniac, who has asked: At the end of this adventure, and at the beginning of the next. Who would make the best replacement DM? And what kind of character would David like to create? Mm. So I'm going to ask the first bit to Chris first, Ooh. and then we'll come to David. You've got a little bit of time to think about this one. Oh, thank you. Ooh. But yeah, who, who do you reckon would make the best DM out of the uh, out of the five of you? Okay, so I think it's tough, really. Again, it's a question that like you know has to be answered with a complex answer rather than like a simple straightforward. <laughs> I think it's all down to like what kind of game you want to play. I think for like person who knows the rules and is like most equipped, I definitely think like uh, Ben is like up there and he's also hilarious with voices. Um, mm. So he'll make some really mm. like wonderful NPCs. There'll be a lot of like complex narratives from Daryl. Um, I've never, uh, oh, yeah. I, and I've never heard Grace DM, and I'd really enjoy that as well, just for the comic relief as well, and just to see what bonkers things bounce around in her brain. I, I, I've got to say, I really want to like see what Vicky comes up with in terms yeah, of it. <laughs> for a one shot, I would, I would love that. So it's yeah. a really hard question, mate. It's a really, really mm. hard question. It's like that it's five very different yeah very different but all very brilliant different forms of story that you'd be getting from every single cast member yeah absolutely we've had a little bit of experience with with ben Mm -hmm. dming um and i've i've had the pleasure of having chris ben and daryl and daryl yeah and daryl's was like law like this this grander world it's kind of like in kidu 
inner world yeah. was the way that I kind of pictured this. It was so like his his detail was insane. Yeah. Um, oh God, but which one would work best to follow no small roles? That's what I don't know. Gosh, she knows. I think season two, you just have to alternate. So it's like Chris does the first episode and then Vicky does the second episode and Ben does the third one, which basically means that you have to scramble and pick up from where it was left off. <laughs> and then, like, mean. you know, <laughs> you get to Vicky's episode, which is all about pixies and stuff. And then uh, Daryl comes in. And he's like, no, OK, we have to find some way of getting back to the world with all these, you know, massive uh, trying glorious to make kingdoms. the pixies and- make sense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Vicky's would be like right. full blown dark evil. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know no, that's the point though i think for me i can i can guess what everyone's is vicky's i have no freaking clue so i would i am like <laughs> down for that like it's a blank page that i want to see what I happens mean, the energy that vicky would bring to Absol- it like, absolutely you like as players i don't feel we'd know what would be coming at any point sometimes we like, don't know what 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 comes in like juna um, you know, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah, she's yeah, just exactly. like, no, I just think. And then sometimes you're like, Rah! and we'll be like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like. <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it. Absolutely. I think the only way to really settle this is that you're going to have to test it. I mean, before season two comes around, you're going to have to test it. I'm thinking bonus episodes where you each run one and we see how mm-hmm. it goes within the world of El Tempo, potentially. Doesn't have to be. Basically, give me more stuff to listen to. I need more. <laughs> yeah. We're slowly working on it. We just need <laughs> more time. <laughs> more editing time, please. Thank you very much. Cheers and thank you. Uh, speaking of having more time, did you think of a character that you would want to create? Yes. Um, so I have... The, the type of player characters that I've played in the past have been very varied. I often lean towards spellcasters. But what I think I'd quite like to explore is a kind of anti-hero type character who is tied to one other person in the party and is really only there for them. Mm. Like almost does not care about the greater mission, but is there for that one person and will protect them at all costs, follow where they go. Yeah, that's maybe a kind of healer character who, again, almost prioritizes healing for just that one person Mm. and not anybody else. I feel like that'd be a really fun archetype to play and that like what what is their buying to the whole the whole mission the whole campaign but obviously they've got a love a uh a need to protect this one other person that one other person has to be a horse i feel just for poetic justice <laughs> just... <laughs> or a, yeah. or a griffin just so i can feel that <laughs> shout out to the uh the subclass that you've recently created the based on juna's uh you know the Griffin Rider, Paladins, mm-hmm. and the Oath of Tuvir. Brilliant stuff. By the way, can we just keep, can we just do a tiny round of applause for Vicky for those beautiful stories she keeps like those throwing stories. out there? Yeah, Oof. I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Love them. We'll, we'll add applause sound effect there. <laughs> Juna just reading Grimm's fairy tales. Like, I'd listen to that podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, amazing. I, I think that might be all we've got time for tonight. Thank you so much, everybody, for your questions, for sending them in. Uh, really sorry if we didn't get a chance to get to them tonight. Uh, we we did segue a little bit, but I hope you'll agree with me that it was fascinating. Really wanted to explore those avenues. 
Uh, for anybody who has listened this far, if you haven't liked and subscribed to the podcast, please do, uh, because it helps other people find the podcast and fall in love with it as we have. And please do join us next time. Uh, so for now, from uh, David and Chris, I hope you've enjoyed tonight. Yeah, Loved it. So much fun. Well, I can't wait to get you in the hot seat again once we've had a few more episodes to find out what the hell is going on. Thank you so much, everybody. And there's only one thing left to say. So uh, if everybody would like to unmute themselves. Are we ready? And Hello, tea cakes. Ben here, popping in to say a huge thank you to David, Chris, Superfan Sam, and to all the superfans from Patreon who joined us live. Thank you for all of your fantastic questions, and keep those inquisitive minds active, because our next No Small Questions will be with our staff-wielding, tea-brewing sorcerer Vicky, and our eldritch-blasting, inside-checking warlock Daryl. Keep an eye on our social media for when we'll be recording the next episode. Oh, and uh, while you're there, make sure you have a look at Karen's adorable illustration of Baby Guy and Baby Orin. You know where we are by now. We're at No Small Roles on Instagram and Twitter, or find us on Facebook by searching for No Small Roles. If you've finished admiring Karen's amazing art and you feel in need of some more No Small Roles in your life, why not consider joining our Patreon, which is simply bursting with behind-the-scenes and bonus content. Recent additions have included insight from David on the very first music he composed for the podcast, a video from Daryl on the inspiration for Enkidu's fighting style, and a bonus No Small Talk episode, with the cast's immediate reaction recorded right after episode 33. Check out all those goodies at patreon.com forward slash no small rolls. Oh, and we'll pop a link in the show notes as well. Oh, and while you're looking there, you should also spot a link for the show that I'm performing in this summer. Yes, I'm heading out on tour with Dragons and Mythical Beasts, where audiences will get to enter into a world of myths and legend in this fantastical show for all the family. It's a great opportunity to meet some creatures of legend, from a colossal stone troll to an adorable unicorn, all brought to life with spectacular puppetry. We'll be visiting venues all around the UK from late July right through to November. And from 13th of August to 5th of September, we'll be performing at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre in London. You can find out all about the show and book tickets for your nearest venue at dragonsandbeastslive.com. Hope to see you there. Now we'll be back in the Wingthrop's test facility next Sunday with episode 37. And in the meantime, look out for another instalment of Superfan Chats as our resident superfans recap and discuss theories all the way up to episode 36. Right, uh, sounds like I've got to go and plan campaign two of No Small Rolls, and on for now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.